Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. All right, Coop, enjoy the weekend. Make some good memories. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. So here is the reality. The FBI director is sounding the alarm that we are being attacked like 9-11. Why won't lawmakers protect us? Why won't they protect themselves from cyber attacks? They're disrupting our way of life. They are increasing by the day. Did you hear that the sergeant at arms of the Senate said that cyber attacks are her biggest security concern? That she is more worried about what happens every day there than about another mob coming? Ransomware attacks are the key concern. Hackers hold companies, critical infrastructure, hostage, demand ransom. They target everything from our hospitals to transportation to the gas in your car, the food you feed your family. And these people pay. And we don't even know. The U.S. government says it won't negotiate with terrorists, but they're okay with all this critical infrastructure paying hackers ransom hundreds of millions of dollars. And guess what they pay it in? Cryptocurrency. Why? Because you can't track it. Why is that allowed? Why hasn't the government moved on crypto as a cheat from tracking? One thing is for sure. They cannot claim ignorance. The DOJ, the Department of Justice, had declared 2020 the worst year ever for extortion-related cyber attacks. Guess what? We're in the first half of this year, right? We've already seen a 102% increase, 102% in ransomware strikes, just compared, obviously, year over year. The head of the FBI equates the challenge of this threat we face to 9-11. Do you understand? That's not something that Christopher Wray is going to just throw around lightly. He knows how disrespectful it is to even bring it up. If he's going to compare something to it, he better mean it. And he does. Listen to his quote. There are a lot of parallels, a lot of importance, and a lot of focus by us on disruption and prevention. There's a shared responsibility, not just across government agencies, but across the private sector and even the average American. Ray did not come up with this. He is building on what other intel leaders have been warning for years. They've even warned members of Congress straight to their faces. Look what we put together. It would be difficult to overstate the breadth and scale of malicious cyber activity. They come from everywhere. Um, It's sort of a stack, I call it a a sort of an evil layer cake. We need to raise our game with respect to this. The digital infrastructure that serves this country is literally under attack. All the same message. Nobody acts. 
Congress has failed to go after the perpetrators, many of whom have been traced back to Russia. So either it's a troll farm that is related somehow to Russian intelligence, or they are Russian actors that Russia is aware of, even if they're not in control of them, but they're allowing them to operate. Okay? Now, when lawmakers did have a chance to pass real cybersecurity legislation back in 2012, guess who made it die? Mitch McConnell led a filibuster in the Senate. He also blocked a bipartisan denunciation of Russian interference in our election. He ironically blocked an election security bill in 2019 and then rejected criticism. He was aiding Russia. The White House says President Biden plans to bring up these hacks with Putin in two weeks at a summit in Geneva. But Putin is already doing what he does best, laughing off the obvious. It's just ridiculous to blame Russia for this. I think the relevant U.S. services should find out who the scammers are, not Russia for sure. For us to extort money from some company, we are dealing with some chicken meat or beef. It's just hilarious. Just one little step sideways there. That was Channel One, right? That's state-run media. See how the guy had to nod along, nod along? Why? Because he wants to be able to keep doing his job. Don't forget what you have as a blessing in this country with the media. If that had been in America, that leader would have been questioned about what he had just said. I know the media is not perfect. I know it's highly imperfect. It bothers me on a regular basis also, even though I am a member of it. But remember the blessing, okay? One step sideways. Now, back into the focus. He can joke about it. He can say it's hilarious. But we know that he thinks the joke is on else, and we know why he can laugh, because we know who bought his perfidy. Remember this? My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, He just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. I will never get over how embarrassing that moment was. And I don't know how anybody can. Dan Coates was his intel guy who says we think it's Russia and he believes Putin over his own guys. Amazing to me. So Biden says he's going to push it. We'll see. Look, we know that because of where Trump was on this and whatever it is about Russia, we know his party is a collective of pawns. But the joke will be on us if we keep letting ourselves be attacked. So let's turn to someone who was once in charge of facing down these threats. Former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton, author of The Room Where It Happened, Welcome back to primetime, sir. Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Now, first, um, you heard that. Am I overstating? Am I getting anything wrong? Uh, What do you want this audience to know about cyber attacks, uh, the congressional level of awareness and relative inaction and why? Well, I think there's no doubt uh, Chris Ray had it uh, correct that this is a threat overall equivalent to or probably greater than 9-11. It comes in a lot of different forms. Uh, Some cyber attacks really are acts of war. I think Russian efforts to interfere in our election are a war against the Constitution. Then there are others that are intelligence operations, intelligence gathering or clandestine. Then there's another category of criminal activity. Uh, Some of it's state-sponsored, some of it just by good old-fashioned criminals. There's cyber vandalism, and and then there's just mischief. We, We need better thinking to understand uh, the nature of the threats and therefore what the responses are. But the greatest threats 
come from state actors. And we've seen over the past decade uh, a huge amount of interference with our uh, information technology and computer systems. You know, we've gotten uh, very reliant on them. They're enormously convenient. Yep. They vastly increase productivity, but they've left us at risk and we have ignored the problem for far too long. So when you say we've ignored the problem, you were aware of it. You were there. Why don't we do more? I understand that, well, it's not always easy to know, but my understanding and digging in on this is you guys know plenty. People come with proposals and plans of things to do, and there is some kind of nonchalance when it comes to cybersecurity. I often analogize if one person came into this country and attacked one factory as an act of terror, we would all be talking about it, know everything about that person, their organization, and the government would be going all out to do something. But when it comes to cyber terror, you have no such reflex. Why? Well, I think a lot of people have trouble adjusting to the potential implications of these cyber attacks. And I think uh, you've put it well. If somebody came in and blew up a bridge and right. we could see the pictures of it, people would say, that's bad. But when you hear that uh, China, for example, has extracted tens of thousands of government personnel records from the Office of Personnel Management and taken them to Beijing, it seems very abstract. Now, this may be a question of age. It may be a question of unfamiliarity with information technology. Uh, but I think when you begin to see it in the form of ransomware, that actually, as bad as it is, helps uh, generate public understanding of what's going on. Th this is a threat uh, not just of government agencies, but in the private sector involving uh, transportation. We saw one against Colonial Pipeline, but think of it in terms of railroads, air traffic control systems, traffic light systems in cities. Uh, this kind of vulnerability exists. We have not done enough to defend right. against it. And let's also be clear, this is never going away. This is never going away. Well, Each especially we if we do don't do anything defenses. about it. And that's why, Ambassador, I, I wonder, now that well, you but, have the benefit of hindsight, you know, I know that there was something with the former president and Russia. I mean no suggestion of any collusion or anything of the sort. But he had a political resistance to them because of the media and scrutiny dynamic. And that had to lead to that BS he said in Helsinki. I know you had to be as embarrassed by that uh, as every American was when he said, my intel guys tell me it's Putin, but Putin says it isn't. And I believe him. Doesn't get more embarrassing. Do you wish you had done more, that you would push back more on him, that you had pushed on cybersecurity and said, look, I know you got some kind of flavor of crazy going on, but we have to do this anyway, that you'd been more outspoken in hindsight. Well, you, you can always do more, but I will tell you, I'm very proud of the cyber strategy that we uh, developed when I was national security advisor. It received praise even by Obama administration officials. Uh, and we did some things that are, that are classified, uh, but that include changing the rules for uh, initiating offensive cyber operations. You know, it's, uh, it's not enough to be defensive. I think you need to create structures of deterrence. Uh, and we reversed a lot of what had been done in the Obama administration that inhibited our ability to engage in offensive cyber operations. But there's no question we can all do more. And, and the point I'm trying to make is 
Uh, there's never going to be stasis here. We're never going to have adequate defenses. Uh, as long as there are valuable assets at stake here, people will try to hold them at risk. So this is a new reality. We get a lot out of information technology, but it leaves us vulnerable and we have to protect against the vulnerabilities. This has got to be a continuing focus of attention. But Ambassador, you know, I've heard this and not just from you, so I'm not singling you out, but you were in a very um, privileged position and you have been open to what worked and what didn't work to a certain extent. You guys pat yourselves on the back here for addressing cybersecurity in the Trump administration specifically. And yet in 2020, you had your worst year ever in number of attacks, only second to this year, where it's up 100 percent in just the first half of the year. You know, uh, apples to apples. How can you feel you did anything right if it's getting worse and worse? We lost the signal here. Oh. Can you hear me, John, or no? All right, let me take a break, unless John's doing a great job of pretending not to hear me. No, we'll take a break, we'll get the comms right, and then we'll come back and continue the conversation. Stay with us. The hackers don't even want us having this conversation, so they tried to knock us off. John Bolton gave me that joke in the break, and it's a good one. We have him back. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, thank you very much. Uh, obviously, the former assistant to the president for national security affairs and former U.S. ambassador to the United uh, Nations. It's good to have you. So let's just step back. It's Friday night. Let's get this right. Um, so we were talking about why it was hard for you when you were in the administration. I mentioned and showed the audience a reminder of the Helsinki um, disgrace. What did you come up with as an idea for why the former president was so sensitive to being overtly aggressive towards Russia on anything, let alone on cyber um, attacks where you have them so red handed? Well, I think on Russia in particular, he thought that any uh, any any reference that could be used against him for being uh, complicit with the Russians in the 2016 election would have undercut the legitimacy of his election. I, I didn't agree with that. I thought he ought to confront what Russia was doing directly. And I can tell you that components of the government did do uh, a lot to try to uh, for example, protect against Russian interference in the 2018 election, including some of the offensive cyber operations that, uh, that I mentioned. And I think with good effect, we've learned a lot. We need to do a lot more. We're coming from behind. I think generally Trump got along with authoritarian figures uh, for reasons even he couldn't explain very well. And Putin certainly fit that bill. Mm. Uh, I've heard that from other uh, past members of the administration that he came to the conclusion that anything that was said about Russia was somehow bad for him because whether he liked it or not, he was connected to them. So he just wanted them out of the conversation. He didn't want to deal with them on any level. Still doesn't really explain Helsinki, but maybe in some perverse way it does, that that's where his head took him, that I can't have anything bad said about Russia because it's bad for me. It's the only thing that makes even a modicum of sense. So then it comes to the efforts and what I was asking before uh, the break, which is, I understand that you did things that you believe deserve credit, that you say even former Obama officials said was good, but you're doing a lousy job here, right? Because in 2020, we had the worst year of cyber attacks ever. And the only reason it's second place is to 2021 so far. So whatever was done during the Trump administration and now stinks. What do I have wrong? 
No, I, I think there's a lot more that can be done. I think public awareness is still not what it should be. I think people don't appreciate how reliant we've become on uh, information technology and, and therefore how dangerous it is when uh, people can get in and interfere with it. Uh, we have seen uh, a number of areas where I think that's changing. If you look at the threat, for example, uh, to telecommunications from Chinese companies like Huawei and ZTE, uh, very strong steps were taken against them. Those have been continued and indeed recently even expanded by the Biden administration. Uh, but we're still coming from behind. And I think these uh, recent ransomware attacks give us an opportunity. I think it would be catastrophic to change the view that you don't pay ransom. That's like paying ransom for the release of hostages. Right. I think we need more reporting on this, but mostly we need the private sector to do a lot more, to, to look at what the risks are uh, to their information technology systems uh, and, and do more to protect them. We've, we've gotten a lot of profits and, and convenience uh, out of this technology, but it's brought risks and we need to pay some insurance. Experts say that the biggest reason for the ramp up is not technology on the bad guy side. It's how to be paid, cryptocurrency, that now they don't have the problem of having the money tracked, wires or anything, offshore accounts, whatever it is, a real currency at some point has to be cleaned. Cryptocurrency does not. This is not new to you guys. Why haven't you moved to regulate cryptocurrency in this regard? I have been told that in the financial world, they have figured out how to reconcile crypto with their KYC uh, policies, their uh, know your client and know your customer policies. Why hasn't the government done this? Well, uh, I, I wouldn't want to disappoint you, but Donald Trump actually on several occasions told Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, we should outlaw cryptocurrency. I, I don't understand why it's considered to be a repository well, why didn't it of happen? value. I I'm not upset by that. I'm upset by when I, why nothing happened. So if Trump had a feeling yeah. about this, I certainly I, never heard him talk about it publicly. Why did nothing happen? Well, I think people didn't fully appreciate how dangerous it was. Again, it's uh, it's there's a there's a breakdown across not just a few people in the administration, but across the country generally. Look how many people have invested in it. Uh, so I think this is something that uh, that for both organized uh, crime and for rogue states and adversaries of the United States that want to mask their financial transactions. It's a great boon to them. It's not something we should accept. Um, all right. I want to ask you about something else why, while I have you here. And I appreciate your time, especially with the difficulty. Um, what happened with General Flynn? Um, his comments recently are just more proof of his perfidy, right? That he's willing to say things that are incendiary to play to the advantage of this president. Um, again, with the benefit of hindsight, do you think that you should have done more to squash the kind of talk that's coming out of his mouth and others while you were there? Well, I certainly didn't hear any talk about uh, uh, of the kind we've seen about the stolen election. I, I think Trump is really understandable uh, entirely in terms of what he sees benefiting him. I think this, is a, this was a demonstration that he is an anomaly in American politics. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very concerning. I don't think it's as dangerous to democracy in this country as some people do, uh, because I think it's, it's so much a fringe uh, movement that, uh, that at this point, it's not the kind of threat some people think. I think it's bizarre, extreme, and unacceptable. 
but I don't think it's uh, it's so well, it's so much of a threat. There are two dramatic counterpoints. One is January 6th was an act of terror, an insurrection, as found by our federal government against the U.S. Capitol. You and I in our lifetimes have never seen anything like it. Uh, so that's scary. And you now have all of these Republican-run states passing laws that you and I have never experienced in our lifetime either that take us the closest to the kind of reductionist policies where race is involved that we thought we got out of in the 50s and 60s. How do you see those as not worthy of concern? Well, I think January the 6th was one of the most tragic days of American history, but I don't see it being repeated. I don't see the circumstances coming together again. And I think one way to make sure it's not repeated is that everybody who uh, crossed uh, the lines in the Capitol that day should be put in jail for the maximum uh, amount of time uh, allowable. And anybody who engaged in violence against police or others in the Capitol should be put in jail. The for Republican an even Party won't even investigate time. it, though, John. The Republican Party doesn't even want it well, investigated look, I, when they were the targets. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the Republican Party, and I would have uh, voted to have a commission to investigate. Why won't they? Uh, I think it's serious, and and because I think they're scared of the political consequences, and that's one reason why I and others have tried to explain Trump's influence is declining. It is a fact that his influence with real voters is declining. I even think with the all these states passing these laws. Among, to limit voting rights? Well, and let's, to let's recall uh, elections. Uh, on let their me own come court? back to that. Uh, Go ahead, make your points. Let, please. let me come back to that sure. in one second. I, 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 yeah, I, I think a lot of Republicans are afraid of their shadow when they don't realize Trump's influence is diminishing. And I've put out a poll, we'll have others that I think will show that as well. Now, look, on the voting rights thing, it's hard to have a serious conversation about this these days. But I think as a matter of civic responsibility, I think everybody who's physically able to vote on election day should vote on election day at the polls. And I say that because we have very little that uh, that is required of us as citizens to demonstrate civic responsibility. Jury duty is one and voting is another. I think making that a common act on one day where everybody does the same thing. The Republicans won't uh, even make it a day enhance. of vacation. They won't even give people the day off on that day well, to make it easier to vote. Every yeah, restriction look, that's put in place yeah, has been look, done by your party, though, John. Nobody shares what you're saying in your party. I, I, we have had we have had a couple of hundred years where election days have not been days off. And it's amazing. People have voted. It's just it's just part of being a citizen to get up a little early and vote before you go to work or, or vote after you come back to say that it's that we have to have days off to get people to work. I don't I'm not buy. saying you have to have days off. I'm saying that would be in keeping with what you're saying about making it such a sacred duty. However, what I'm saying is your party has historically been the beneficiary of early voting and absentee ballot voting. It was only when Trump came in and demonized it that the enthusiasm amongst I, I, your party. It's fell not a off. question of it's but we've had it around it's, since it's the not set, a question 1800. of what party it votes. No, no, no. Look, I remember once I, I well, the first time I uh, voted absentee, I had to swear out an affidavit that I was necessarily out of my state uh, on business that day. And I think basically that's the way it should be. I think the civic responsibility point is everybody on the same day going to the polls, standing in line if necessary and voting. It's one thing the country can do 
all together. I know, but John, you and know what's wrong with that theory. it'll benefit one party or the other. You know what's wrong with that theory, is that once you get to poorer communities, and communities of color especially, what happens? Less staff, less hours, longer lines, hours and hours. Now you're not allowed to give them water, that doesn't as they're mean- in these states. Come on. It's onerous. People can't get time off no. work. They're working two jobs. It is not onerous. No, I don't. I absolutely don't agree with that. My father it's was a, a firefighter for the city of Baltimore, and he managed and he managed to vote despite long hours and everything else. I think on election day, people can find the time to vote if they're interested. And the point is that when the community does it as a whole, it helps bring the community together, which we need more of in this time. I know, but what I'm saying is. Your civic duty aside and the fact that firefighters usually have swing shifts, right? So they work like 24 hours and then they have like two days off. So it's a different kind of mentality. I'm not saying it's not about that. These laws, look, we all love our first responders. It's not the point. What I'm saying is that these laws are very obvious in what they're trying to do. And it's interesting to me that you would fight the assertion. Every one of the laws makes it more difficult to use what is an accepted method of voting in your own party that you had capitalized on, organized yeah. around, and benefited from. That, that, that's why I said it's hard to have a serious conversation about this. I'm trying to make a philosophical point about the nature of voting and the civic responsibility inherent in it, and asking how best do you bring that to the fore to help strengthen faith in the political process in this country. And I think uniformity of voting would help do that. Uh, So to that extent, I don't think it has anything to do with restricting voting. I think the more casual you make voting, the less important it becomes. The more right, but John, it's not about making it casual. You have this past election. They said was the safest election they've had in these states that are Republican run. Okay, so it wasn't that it was casual, using that as a euphemism for unfair or sloppy. Uh, it was efficient and allowed a lot of people to vote that your party apparently doesn't want to vote. Doesn't that concern you from a national security no, I perspective? I, 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 think it, I think Trump, to the contrary, notwithstanding, that we probably as a party have benefited from early voting. Yeah, that I just doesn't said that. change my opposition to it. My, right, but aren't you what, concerned about these laws you, that I'm are saying I still it. don't like it. I get it. I get that you don't like the concept. What? But the concept exists. And these laws <laughs> but the are concept a fundamental is abridgment of them for advantage. Doesn't that bother you no, from a national I, security perspective? If everybody, look, I, I think, I think uh, equal treatment under the law is key. And if you treat everybody the same and say we're basically going to have Everybody vote in person on Election Day with limited exceptions. Troops deployed overseas. But that's not the state of play, People unable to make it for medical reasons. That's not the state of play. Look, what I'm trying to tell you and what I'm trying to explain to you is the theoretical basis on which we should try and make these laws conform. And I think to say that you want to reduce voting on Election Day decreases the importance of the act of civic, civic responsibility. Last thing on this, just because of a national security concern, the idea of states passing laws that make it easier for them to overturn election results that they don't like, does that present a national security issue? Well, I don't think it presents a national security issue. I I think laws that undercut public respect for the integrity of the process are damaging. But I would say one other thing. 
Uh, one of the most important barriers to Donald Trump trying to upend the 2020 election was the fact we have such a diverse federalized system of counting votes in the presidential election. If everything had been centered in Washington, as some legislative proposals in Congress now would do, it would have been easier for Trump to try and subvert the election. I think we need to strengthen uh, federal, the federal disbursement of this authority, because I think that's an important safeguard against efforts to corrupt the outcome of elections. Mm. Uh, his saying that he's going to be reinstated in August. Do you dismiss that as Trump hogwash or is that something that concerns you as it is catching fire uh, in the ranks? Well, I think this is another example where Republicans should say it's not going to happen. It's crazy thinking. Uh, and that people need to be disabused of the idea that it's anything other than delusional. John Bolton, former ambassador, uh, former assistant to the president for national security. Thank you for having this extended conversation with us tonight. Appreciate you. Glad to be with you. Thank you. And as John Bolton just told you, uh, Trump will not be reinstated. There is no mechanism there is no chance. He's not going to be reinstated as president. He's not even going to get reinstated at Facebook, at least not anytime soon on the social network. They gave him the maximum penalty. It announced an extension on his ban today. And of course, Trump's barking up a storm about it. But does he have anything but sour grapes? Is there a fair argument that this was the wrong thing to do? Smirconish with his take, plus new details about what happened behind the scenes on January 6th between Trump and Kevin McCarthy. The lengths McCarthy had to go to to get Trump to call off his mob. Brian Stelter has the scoop. Next. Today is five months to the, to the day since January 6th. Five months to the day. And on that day, Facebook has extended its ban on Donald Trump, stretching it to at least 2023. The explanation? Given the gravity of the circumstances that led to Mr. Trump's suspension, we believe his actions constituted a severe violation of our rules, which merits the highest penalty available under the new enforcement protocols. At the end of his, this period, we will look to experts to assess whether the risk to public safety has receded. An ex-president considered a risk to public safety. Of course, Trump, as always, playing the victim, crying censorship, an insult to all the millions who voted for him, and still lying about the election being rigged against him. He's also dangling a return to office in a follow-up response. Next time he's in the White House, no more dinners with Mark Zuckerberg. Was Facebook right to do this? Let's bring in the man with the right stuff, Michael Smirkanish. It's good to see you, brother. Right or wrong? It's hard for me to give you a direct answer. And here's the reason why. He deserved to be punished. I think that he incited the events of January 6th. But Facebook is managing a fire hose. They cannot keep track of all of the content from the 3 billion. Think about that. Nearly 3 billion users worldwide. So by definition, they're singling him out for a treatment and for a punishment that they can't apply evenly. And by that definition, it's unfair. Mm. Look, certainly practically, it's going to play to his advantage within his base, because I think people who don't like him 
won't yeah. really care. It's not going to change their feelings. And the people who do like him will now have another layer uh, to him being a victim. Here's my question for you. What is Facebook? No shirt, no shoes, no service. That's what a business has the right to. But is Facebook more like a restaurant or more like AT&T or Sprint or Verizon, where they are using something that belongs to everybody, the Internet, and providing access? What are they? I'm so glad you raised that because earlier tonight at dinner, one of my sons said, what are you going to tell Cuomo? And when I gave him my answer, he said, Dad, you're an egghead. You're talking about Section 230. And Section 230 gave immunity to the platforms like Facebook, right? They said, hey, we're going to treat you like we treat Verizon rather than the way we would treat CNN or a newspaper. In other words, you're not going to be held accountable for the content that comes across your transom. But now, Chris... When Facebook begins to regulate content like Mm -hmm. that of Donald Trump, aren't they inviting additional scrutiny? Aren't they saying the 230 should no longer apply to them? I mean, that's really what I think this case is about on a deeper level. Me too. And we have to get an answer. And the problem is the state of play stinks because right and left are playing it to advantage about who gets hurt more by social media. And you get a perversity. Uh, in that dynamic, because you'll have the right, who's just better organized in attacks than the left in general, saying Facebook is against us. But you look at all the main traffic things on Facebook. They're all righty. <laughs> they're all righty organizations. They're all righty fringe outlets and others who get the most uh, wattage on Facebook. So I don't know what they're crying about. But I do think we have to decide this, though, Mike. We have to decide what the level of scrutiny is, because they're going to keep making these decisions. Well, the only thing I feel confident about in predicting for the future is that Facebook is going to continue to be a political football. And something else, when I read the statement that they issued today, Chris, that's unclear to me, what is it that happens at the end of the two years when they assess the climate? Because the language was very imprecise. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Are they saying we're going to evaluate the way that Donald Trump has behaved himself? Or are we going to look at the American landscape and determine whether in that landscape it's safe for him to reemerge. They really didn't define that, or if they did, it went over my head. So I think that in trying to do the right thing, all they've done is set themselves up for a continual ping-pong match between the left and the right. Look, I mean, their high ground is he's unique. He can create a unique environment with unique reach. The language that they used from the oversight board tracks very close Uh, to First Amendment language. Uh, He created an environment where a serious risk of violence was possible. Uh, That is dancing with Brandenburg, uh, the legal standard about what is an imminent threat and when is something really, you know, what we used to call fighting words, which don't really exist as a protected uh, thing anymore. An environment where a serious, I'm saying hate speech, fighting words are protected now. An environment where a serious risk of violence was possible. They're dancing with the law, but it's not a legal ruling. It's weird. We got to do better. And he's going to benefit from this. Michael Smirconish, thank you. And I always remind people, Smirconish airs tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern right here on CNN. His radio show on Sirius XM, the POTUS channel, is the best morning listening you can make. Now, House Republican leader and Trump appeaser Kevin McCarthy is at it again. He tweeted this today in response to the former president's Facebook ban. They fueled lies of Russian collusion. 
They targeted and censored his followers, and now they're blocking him for another two years. Now, remember, five months to the day of January 6th is today, and that was a big part of what Facebook's reconciling. Yet, McCarthy is exhibit A of the negative impact that Trump had because of what he said happened on that day. And guess who has new information for us? Brian Stelter. He has the updated paper book of his book, uh, the paperback of his book, Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. And he has new details that prove that McCarthy is the last guy who should be saying that Trump was treated unfairly. Uh, this is his first interview about the book. Congratulations on getting more material. Thanks, Congratulations on having hoax out again. And you've learned more things. And one of them, uh, I have a uh, McCarthy on Fox slash Donald Trump tweet synchronicity uh-huh. uh, for people. So let's play the sound that leads uh, to this interesting combination of events. Sir, should we expect to see the president on camera this afternoon? I would think I would think so. I'm sorry again. What was that? I, I don't know. I would think so. I think that would be appropriate. Okay, sir. Thank you for your time. We will. We, yeah, um, just losing a little bit of signal here. Um. Twelve, three thirteen, a minute later. I'm asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful, no violence. Remember, we are uh, the party of law and order, respect the law, uh, and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. It's one of the first times that Trump said to do something and nobody listened because they mauled uh, law enforcement by the dozens. One minute later, Brian, not a coincidence. How so? No, Kevin McCarthy called Fox News that afternoon because he needed help and because Donald Trump wasn't listening to him directly. So he called Fox the same way that you would call the most important person in your life when you needed help the very most. That's what you would do. You would call, well, Donald Trump calls Fox News. Uh, Sorry, uh, Kevin McCarthy called Fox News and tried to get through to Trump that way. And that's exactly what happened on the afternoon of the riot. I know McCarthy's tried to to memory hole the riot recently, but when he was sheltering in place, trying to get the mob to leave the Capitol, he called Fox News. And it just goes to show the centrality of Fox to Trump and the GOP. It's still going on today, Chris. Uh, these lawmakers taking their cues from Fox, getting misinformed by Fox. And that's why what the network does matters, even though it is uh, oftentimes annoying, distracting, confusing. Now, I often say there's no shame in their game, but maybe I'm wrong because you got a message from a Fox News vet early morning after, after the January yeah. 6th. Yes, and how so? That's right. This is early morning, January 7th. Nobody can sleep after the insurrection. A Fox News veteran texted me with four words that show there was shame, there was regret, at least among some staffers at the network. I think we can put it up on screen. The four words were, what have we done? What have we done? This is a Fox News veteran wondering, are we, are we responsible for this? And, and I think we have to, to ask the question, Chris, could an insurrection possibly have happened if Fox News had not warped the American body politic for 20 years? And I conclude in hoax, the answer is no. The climate was set up. You know, I, I went back for history and looked at all the times Trump was laying the groundwork for the big lie last fall. He spent dozens and dozens of days doing it at dozens and dozens of rallies. In retrospect, none of this was surprising. It was all happening live on right-wing TV. And of course, it led to the attack. Now, how do you reconcile the fact that it continues the big lie, even though the election is over. 
Right. And we're seeing that not just on Fox, but on Newsmax and One America News. That's one of the reasons why I had to rewrite this entire book practically, because so much has changed since last summer. It's not just that Trump lost and Fox lost. There are now these new competitors that are going even further to the right. And it's causing this warping, this, this sectarianism in America that I don't think any of us could have imagined 10 years ago. It is why so many staffers at Fox were leaking to me, saying they are concerned about the network and its direction, its lack of leadership. Look, we've seen a lot of people leave the network as recently the last two weeks, folks leaving because they couldn't take it anymore. But that's moving right-wing TV even further to the right in ways that create even more of a, it's not an echo chamber anymore, Chris, it's an echo prison. Mm. Let's do this. Uh, let's do a follow-up segment on this so we can talk about how many uh, copies of the book you've sold. And well, thanks for the plug. I appreciate it. And watch what they're doing to Tony Fauci right now because he is the yes. new Hillary Clinton for them. They are making him the piñata of all of their disaffection and their upset. Let's track it for a while. Yeah. Let's make sure we're right about the intentionality. Come back and we'll discuss the impact. The I've book, got the assignment. Thanks. Thank you. The book, it's a favor. I'm asking you a favor. I don't assign you. You're bigger than I am. Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. It is a new book. It's the paperback edition, but he has redone all of his reporting and really knitted things together for you in a way that will help you understand what we're all living through and why. Brian Stelter. UFO sightings. Is this crazy talk? No, that's not what the government says. It is taking a serious look. Why? Little green men? Or what they don't know about what's happening on Earth? So let's take a look at the report and let's bring back an expert in looking at these phenomena and figure out where we are and where we need to be. Next. We don't know what we don't know. That's the story with UFOs. The U.S. government is preparing to issue a report detailing what it knows, but more importantly, what it says it can't rule out about a series of encounters with unidentified flying objects. CNN is told officials have not reached a definitive assessment of what they are, not ruling out much in or out. Let's discuss with Mick West, author of Escaping the Rabbit Hole. So I have one little bone that a lot of people want me to pick with you. But first, let's go to the macro here, which is... Why do you think the U.S. government is interested in looking at this? Do you think it's because of life beyond our universe or what they're worried about not knowing here on Earth? I think it's very much about not knowing what's going on here on Earth. Uh, when we see unidentified objects in our airspace, it's a real concern and it's a real national security issue. There are issues with uh, foreign governments flying drones in our airspace and various other aircraft. I don't think it's really anything to do with, with aliens, and I'm really glad that they've uh, explicitly stated that there's no evidence of aliens. They've conceded that they can't rule it out, but I think that really just means that you, know, you can't rule out an unknown, because if you don't know what we're looking at, we don't know what aliens look like, you can't rule it out. It's kind of a silly truism, really. Well, first of all, people who believe strongly that this is someone reaching out to us, they don't care what the government says anyway, but all the government needed to say was that they can't rule it out and all of the uh, belief systems will continue. Here's what I don't get. How can they not know if it's man-made, where it's coming from and how to identify it? 
Well, I think it's because they don't have enough information about what we're actually looking at. What we have is a lot of different sightings of different objects. And one of the big problems that they have here is that they're lumping everything under the same category. They're saying these are all UAPs. Let's figure out what UAPs are. But we've got about you know 50 different types of things here. We've got fast things, slow things, things that are bopping around, big things and small things, hot things and cold things. They're all different. And it's a huge mistake for uh, the government, the military and the media to try to think of all of this as being one problem that needs solving. There's lots of different things going on here. So your balloon theory that we discussed the last time you were on the show, man, people do not like that theory. They say you didn't take into consideration the wind currents and your explanation doesn't make any sense. Now, look, I know that you dismiss um, the basis of criticism because you believe these are people who want to believe in something that they can't prove. But What do you make of the specific criticism that your analysis doesn't account for how the object was moving? It's very simple. You can actually just do the math yourself uh, or find a high schooler to do the math and they, they will tell you exactly what's going on. The, the computations are really simple. You don't even need to account for the wind in the go fast video, which is what we're talking about. Now, this is something they, they mentioned in the New York Times story that uh, they eliminated wind and balloons as uh, one particular cause, but they only did it in some cases. They didn't explicitly say it didn't happen in the go fast. And since wind really isn't a factor in that case, that's still very much on the table. So you believe that this is about people on Earth and what they know how to do that we haven't discovered yet. And that's why it's worth researching. And that's what the government seems to be insistent on. But boy, the mythology will live on even after this report. Mick West, thank you uh, for applying analysis and thank you for doing it here. We'll be right back. So I'm getting ready to come out of commercial and I feel this wave of intelligence, this wave of appeal. I'm like, wow, D. Lemon has got to be on his game tonight. And it turns out D. Lemon isn't here tonight. You get the upgrade. And now the energy I was feeling makes sense (laughs) because it is the OAO, Laura Coates. You know, maybe it was my personal, like, wind machine I was trying to get going for a second for you. Is that what it is? It's this intense (laughs) intelligence that was taking on my basically little better than lizard brain. Man, what a way to have a Friday night. Thank you for saying that from UFOs to waves of intelligence. Maybe, maybe something, there's some connection there. What do you think? Hey, listen, you know, some people around here believe, you know, <laughs> your, your sense of what's right and wrong, your quickness, you're a plum, you know. Maybe you got a little green skin under there somewhere. Maybe, you know, maybe you're from somewhere else, <laughs> you know. No, Chris, and I woke up way, like this. Okay. I woke up just like this. What are you talking about? Green skin? What are you talking about? What do you mean? Don't I have enough concealer on? Hold on a second. <laughs> All of a sudden, your Whatever. eyes flash red and none of us remember this conversation. <laughs> have a great night, my friend, and a great you weekend. Too. Thank you. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.